went to bed one night, woke up, lying sideways facing the door which was open, with a little girl standing in the doorway staring at me. Most beautiful little child, blonde bobbed hair, big blue eyes, dressed in like an 18th century school uniform, you know, the pinafore, the white pinafore with the big flowy dress underneath with the button-up boots, the little lace collar. Oh, she was just glorious, but she had this look of pain on her face. And I said, who are you? Are you okay? I sort of sat up and she, she didn't go anywhere. She stood there staring at us like, can you see me? Can you help me? Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. Today, I have someone very special to introduce you to, my friend, Danielle. Danny, who's become a beloved mentor to me, is a retired medical administrator in the field of palliative care. She's a quiet and super caring soul with an extraordinary gift. Danny has been seeing and communicating with and helping spirits all her life. Danny and I met over email three years ago after she heard me on a radio interview and reached out to share her joy at feeling that finally she wasn't alone in experiencing the spiritual encounters that she'd been having since she was five years old. I wrote back and that was the beginning of a friendship by correspondence, a friendship I treasure. You're about to hear some fascinating stories. From the tiny spirit of a little girl called Annabelle who showed up in Danny's home pleading for help to the ongoing detailed dream visions about missing children, some very high-profile cases here, including Madeleine McCann. Together, these moments encompass a prominent theme in Danny's life. I'm always looking for home, she reflects, and so, of course, are these blessed little children. What is it that draws these little lost souls to Danny? We try to unpack that in our conversation today. Danny also shares her thoughts about how our grief can hold our late loved ones back, about her lifelong fascination with Native American culture and the past life in that time that she and her beloved dad lived together. She reveals the very moving story of the crisis apparition of her dear friend Emmanuel, who manifested in her bedroom at the moment of his passing to let her know he was okay. And she also talks candidly about her recent journey with breast cancer and the unexpected beauty and blessings that she found as she and her husband walked that rocky path together. There's so much more. I encourage you to stick around to the end as Danny shares some parting words that will impact you deeply. Finally, as tends to happen when I interview psychic mediums, for most of the conversation you will be able to hear what sounds like another conversation going on in the background. Now, both Danny and I were alone in our homes during the recording with no TVs on nearby. 
intriguing stuff. Oh, and don't forget to check in on Facebook where I'll be posting pictures relating to the uncanny moments that Danny describes. For now, settle in and enjoy my conversation with one of my own dearest spirit sisters. Hi, Danny. Hi, Karina. How are you? Lovely to see you. I am great. And it's a muggy day in Sydney, but here we are together and we've had some technical issues, but (laughs) we've triumphed over those, which is excellent. Yep. Now we, we shall survive, yes. We shall survive. Danny, I am beyond thrilled to have the pleasure and the honour of introducing you today to the Spirit Sisters audience because we spoke last year on The Ghost Files, my other yes. podcast, which is now yes. on pause indefinitely. But in a way, I feel like I'm opening a door into a secret garden and ushering in our listeners because while you have so much beauty and wisdom to share, and so many memorable and, quite frankly, astonishing encounters with spirit to tell us about. This is something you don't share widely. So I am really honoured and excited to let our listeners in on what feels like a little secret that we have. Because oh, as you're... You up too much, Karina. I <laughs> know. Well, as your pen pal, I've been... I like to call us pen pals. We're sort of like yes. old-fashioned correspondents. For the last few years, I've been on the receiving end, Danny, of so much of your kindness and blessings. So I'm filled with gratitude that you've agreed to come on the show today and share with the audience. So welcome. Thank you, Karina. Much appreciated. Okay, so let's begin. And I was trying to think of where to begin, but what occurred to me was this, because you have such a lifetime of experiences. But Danny, you're one of these kind of anonymous, amazing mediums in our midst, you know. I'm kind of outing you now, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> anonymous medium. I've never looked at myself that way. But anyway. Anonymous no more. But, and what I mean by anonymous is that you don't hang a shingle on your door and, and you know, do yeah. the readings professionally or anything like that. No. And you don't have the, you know, the platform, quote unquote. But yes. you have a rare and ongoing connection to the spirit world. And the things that you've experienced that I know of through our correspondence mm-hmm. over the last couple of years are just mind blowing. So let's start with this. When was your most recent interaction with the spirit world and what happened? Oh, let me see. Probably a few nights ago, actually. I, I've had a bit of, um, been, being Christmas and everything else, missing family because mum died when I was very young and dad's not with us anymore. So I have a brother but, um, who I love dearly and he loves me, but, you know, we're not around each other all the time. And the way the world has been the past year with COVID and everything else, everyone's you know, having problems, but I'm just feeling more upset of late and things going on in my environment at the moment that just have kept me on edge. So I was just sitting down, missing dad, missing mum and my grandparents who brought me up and I thought, I was just sitting there staring into nothingness saying to my grandparents, you know, if you could visit, that'd be great because, you know, I often ask and someone will come to visit in a dream and um, I said, just want to see you, just want to know you're still there, haven't spoken to you for a while. Went to bed that night. Sure enough, I was back in Irwood where I grew up, at my at home, where always home. And there was my grandparents sitting next to me on the lounge and I turned around and I went, oh, thank God you're here. And my grandmother said, well, you asked for us, here we are. And I went, oh, and I just felt instant calm, instant, you know, just hug. And my grand, grandfather sitting on the side there, he didn't say anything, he just had that little grinny eyes and shook his head like, yes, here we are, you know. And I went, oh, thank you so much, I love you. And she said, we're always here. And then I just woke up. 
So that was nice. That is and I often have those sort of things. Yeah, I know you often have those. And it's really beautiful because that's one of the things I find most interesting about you, Danny, is that such a profound connection with the spirit world that you can ask in that way and get this beautiful answer. And it's just what you need in that moment. Yes. yes exactly. And I think a lot and it was of only it... short and sweet. It wasn't yeah. as if it was an elongated, you know, long dream. It was just the answer to what I asked. And yes, we're here and we love you. Yeah. That's all you need to know. That's what you wanted. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how the setting was in your childhood home. You know, yes. For them to show you in a way that that love that you felt then is yes. still is still the case is still yes. around you yeah yeah danny what are your earliest memories of experiencing the spirit world gee whiz well that's a little i was always very shy as a little kid um and couldn't uh, the family unit normal to me but really wasn't in the normal sense like because mum died when i was five months old my grandmother was mum and i'd only ever known her as mum and my grandfather was dad as well as my own father being there and my brother the kids at school would say why do you call your grandmother mum well that's mum because i didn't really comprehend where my real mum was she was my real mum and i'd only ever heard about my real mum pamela when my grandmother would be talking to people in the street you know saying oh this little you've got this little girl isn't she lovely you know quiet sort of thing i would only hear the story about my mum then I'd never actually hear it myself. The only other thing I was taught was don't ever have penicillin, you're allergic to it. But, you know, I didn't know what that meant because thinking, okay, well, that's how mum went. But still not comprehending that there is another mother out there somewhere that's not visible and this was mum. So, yes, yeah, so I was very, always very shy and I tuned in, if that's the right word at that age, to that sort of thing. Often I would lie in bed at night terrified because I could hear voices, hear a voice, or I could feel someone sitting on the side of the bed. And I'd always go rushing into my grandparents' room. And they'd go, what's wrong? Oh, there's someone there. No, there's not going, you know. So different times I would have a little bed in their bedrooms to save me keep running in and waking them up. And, but at least I felt safe in their presence. But, yeah, I, I guess very, very early, four, five, six years old, I remember things like that. Yeah. And could you get a sense of what the voices were saying or do you feel like you were just sort of tuning in to, to kind of spirit chit-chat? Yeah, tuning in. I yeah. wasn't fully aware of what spirit meant back then. I was very connected. I went to primary school. I went to Our Lady of Lewis School, you know, and I was very connected to Our Lady of Lewis. So, you know, I'll collect little statues <laughs> sort of thing. And you'd hear about Lourdes and the miracles that happened there, and I was fascinated with all of that. So, you know, sometimes I thought, oh, is it Mary coming to visit me? Because it always seemed to be a female voice, though you couldn't really tell. Muffled words, um, but I could always hear, like, a softly spoken Danielle, like a whisper. Ah. And then muffled words. And, of course, that would terrify me because there was nobody there. So who am I talking to? Who is it? And I would often feel like, maybe a hand on the side of the bed pressed down so that, you know, there was an indent, something like that. So, yeah, I was, you know, just a shy kid wondering what all this was about and it was scary at the mm -hmm. time. And was there a sense of the connection, your bond with Our Lady, mm. making it less scary? 
Did that help you? Did that she give you comfort? The idea of yes. this mother? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I used to hate watching you know scary movies on the TV. My brother would put on, and I go, oh, I can't watch that. I was absolutely petrified, terrified to watch them in case they materialised in my life. <laughs> Things like that, but. How silly is that, you know? But all, all kids are scared of scary movies, of course. But yeah, there was always a comfort in going back to Mary and going, oh, it's okay, I'm all right, you know. And my grandmother, she was just a joy. My grandmother just oh. looked after me so well. It was, yeah. What was, was her just name? Always Inez, Spanish. Um, oh, how She wasn't Spanish, but her name was Spanish. Yeah, it's a beautiful mm. Spanish name. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Well, Danny, I don't want to leave the listeners waiting any longer to hear one of my favourite stories of yours. Yes. And, um, and I hope it's one of your favourites as well. Yes. The story of Annabelle. Little Annabelle. Little Annabelle. Now, would you please share this with us and tell us about, like, set it up for us, about how you first began to sense the spirit of this little visitor that you had in your home. And, and when did this take place, please, Danny? Uh, quite a few years ago now, um, God, approximately eight maybe years ago now. Yeah, we we built a new home here at Menai, and uh, so there was it was an old house with you know creaking floors and spooky things going on. It was a new place. Um, nothing had ever happened. Just my usual, you know, talking to mum and that sort of thing going on in my own mind. Nothing, nothing untoward in the house at all. Um, but over a period of a few weeks, little things started happening and I noticed shadows going from, say, the laundry into the back bedroom and thinking, did I see that? What was that? And it wasn't until my husband said, what was that? <laughs> he saw it too. And I said, I've been noticing that as well. Couldn't work out what it was and it was just in this particular part of the house. And I thought, okay, I don't know what that is because, you know, different days there'd be no sun outside. It could be evening, you know, no lights on, but you could still see this little shadow running through. I thought, okay, well, someone must be visiting, whoever that is. Went to bed one night, woke up, lying sideways, facing the door, which was open, with a little girl standing in the doorway, staring at me. Most beautiful little child, blonde, bobbed hair, big blue eyes. Dressed in like an 18th century school uniform, you know, the pinafore, the white pinafore with the big flowy dress underneath with the button-up boots, the little lace collar. Mm. Oh, she was just glorious, but she had this little look of pain on her face. And I, she didn't scare me, but I thought, oh, who are you? That, and I, it, I thought straight away, that's who this little vision is that we keep seeing. And I said, who are you? Are you okay? I sort of sat up and she, she didn't go anywhere. She stood there, but she actually... So now she'd come right into the bedroom. She was standing in the doorway staring at us like, can you see me? Can you help me? That's the feeling I was getting. There was no actual verbal but the mental thing going on. And um, I said, are you okay? What's wrong? She said, I'm scared. Can you help me? I want to go home. All these sorts of things. And... Yeah, I don't know, it, it just unnerved me. I felt such pain for her and wanted to help her. And then she sort of disappeared, but she was to return, you know, night after night sort of thing. She'd become a regular visitor after a while. And 
she actually said, can you help me? I think once she realised that we could connect and that I would not hurt her and I might be able to help her in some way, it became really warm and engaging and, you know, like the little hand reaching out, take my hand, can you help me, sort of. And it was just beautiful. Anyhow, one night I had this... It was in a dream state, though it seemed to be like, um, you know, you're in the dream state, but you're between worlds, if you like. It was the same time of night. I knew where I was. And, and she said her name was Annabelle because I said, what's your name? And she said Annabelle. So, and my husband actually told me her name first off. I didn't realise it at first. He actually told me one night we had the same dream. Oh, this what? is where things started to escalate. Yeah. Woke up then one morning, this is before I had this other dream, and I said, oh, I just had a dream about that little girl or saw that little girl again. And instantly he said, her name's Annabelle, just out of the blue. And I went, is it? And he said, yes, her name's Annabelle. And I went, goodness, how do you know that? He said, well, I, oh, I'm having cold shivers as we speak, actually. <laughs> you were around Annabelle. He said, I just had this dream, blah, 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 and we had the same dream. As it turns out, and what he was said, "Well, we were, she was in the room with us both, but we were both asleep separately, but having the same sort of um, connection with her, but right. not together." And then when we woke up, he, he just and my husband's not normally like this. He's not normally connected with these sort of things, um, and he just said, "Her name's Annabelle." I said, "How are you sure?" She told me. He said, <laughs> "I went okay," and I thought, "Well, that sounds." pretty much right for the way she's dressed, an old-fashioned name and what have you. So then he started to believe more and more and he felt comfortable with her being here as well. So that was okay. So, you know, nights went on, weeks went by, had this um, dream where she appeared and she took me into the lounge room towards the front door and it's almost if we were floating, if you like, but she took my hand and as we got towards the front door, I could feel this sense of, Ooh, heaviness and she was getting upset and as we got to the front door she sort of said no 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 don't go through the door don't don't there's someone on the other side don't don't open it don't open it and I said is this someone on the other side who hurt you yes don't open the door but I couldn't really work out what actually happened to her but something not very nice happened to her mm. and I think she was either murdered or something like that something terrible happened to the poor kid so she didn't want me to open the door, but this intense feeling of pain in her voice and tears and the excruciating pain on her face. And she said, she sort of turned to the right and sort of was pointing into the certain corner of the bedroom, like, that's where I need to go. That's, can you help me go, move, you know, it's quite bizarre. And then I just sort of woke up and felt this terrible feeling of, pain in my heart for her. How can I help her? How? I didn't know what to do. So um, anyway, long story short, over a period of time, she she was there and see the shadows. I didn't know how to help. And I was trying to find research what was here before. And it did turn out that in the eight, late 1800s, there was a school before all this area was developed that had about 15, 20 children attending the school, a little outback school. And when I looked at the pictures and researched it, here they were, the little girls in their white pinafores with their button-up boots, et cetera, et cetera, the little boys in the little, you know, pull-up things, and a couple of teachers 
I thought this has got to be this is, has to be where she went to school because it was nearby where we are here it was nearby mm. so whether she was I, I hate to say it even buried here in, mm. you know around our house somewhere or or whether she just we just connected somehow after all this time I mean a long time has lapsed since then so has she tried to contact anyone else or, mm. you know you don't know so but she just I felt I felt like a sense of motherly love towards her like I'll try and help you I want to look after you and she felt safe with me so um yeah so my husband went to work one day and uh I thought I've got to help her somehow I could just feel her around and as as weeks went by and she she appeared more you could see she was getting more and more upset and wanting to go home to mum whoever was waiting for her you know and I thought, while my husband's out, I'm going to just try and help her because I could feel her around me like, we need to do it now or this is a good... Yeah, something was just telling me to help. So got out the candles and everything else and, um, uh, yeah, just said a little prayer and said, Annabelle, if you're here, you know, we can try and send you home. You need to go to the light to free yourself because someone is waiting for you. You don't need to be trapped here anymore. I'll try and help you. And... I could sort of see her hovering in this area where she kept going from, like she was stuck between the back room and the hallway going back and forth, and this is where she was hovering. So I lit the candle, said a prayer, and just said, if you're here, you need to go to the light. You can see the light. You know it's there. It's okay to go through. You know, your mum's waiting for you. Your family's waiting for you. You know, I'll be okay here, but I'll feel much better if you find home and go where you need to be. You, you've waited long enough. And just said a few prayers and just said, go to the light. And I just sort of looked around. Something made me look around and her outline appeared in the hallway where she was sort of stuck. And it was sort of glowing. And I said, Annabelle, now's your time. And I could see sort of the light. She could see the light because she was looking up like this. I said, it's okay to go. You're okay. Here's your chance. I love you, you know. And she sort of glowed for a minute and this, her face sort of turned soft and where, where she had been so wracked with fear and pain and missing her family and lost, just totally lost, started to lift. And I could see this smile appear on her face and she just turned and started to walk towards the light but she turned back around again as if to say thank you and her face just went, it was so beautiful and she just went, went. And in that instant, everything felt right. Everything felt calm. She'd found home. She was home. It was a beautiful feeling. Everything lifted in our house too because there was a sense that, you know, she was there and you could, you know, because little things would happen in the lounge room and you'd say, oh, is that you, Annabelle? And, you know, things would move or drop or whatever else. Yeah. So it was a lovely moment. And I still feel it now. It was so beautiful. Yeah, but it was the, the, the it makes you emotional still. Yeah, yeah it does. But uh, so she's home. But I think she's come to visit since because a couple of times. Oh, that was the other thing I, I, I left out of the story. At the front door, where you turn right into the bedroom, we used to have a glass tabletop underneath the window. Husband was at work. I was doing the cleaning on Saturday morning, bright sunny day, about ten o'clock in the morning. Opened the blinds. Looked at the glass, dust everywhere. I went, goodness, I've got to fix that. <laughs> Started cleaning. And then as I looked, I then realised 
there was imprints of little feet in the dust going towards the corner of the room on top of the table like she was trying to get out herself but couldn't get out. These little footprints and I, there is, we don't have children and we haven't had any children visit of late and back then there was, you know, tiny little feet and I went, my God. I, I did take a picture of that. I have it somewhere. I'd and, love if you could find that. Yep, I'd love yep. to see it, Danny. Yes. And I showed my husband, he couldn't believe it. And I, he just went, gee whiz, she's here. So that's when I, I knew for sure I had to help somehow because she had to go trying to, she, she couldn't do it herself. So, but since then, yeah, there's been little footprints on the lounge out of nowhere where I walked past the lounge going to the front door. And in an instance, I turned back around and just where I walked past, where it was perfectly fine, is a little imprint. Foot. Wow. <laughs> I took a picture of that too. So little things like that. So she's coming back to say hi now and again, I think, which is lovely. That is lovely. Well, there's so much in that beautiful story that I just want to just unpack a few little bits. Uh, first of all, I just want to say in that, uh, the first moment where you saw her, yes. that she appeared to you while you were asleep and then you opened your eyes and then you actually yes. sat up in bed, which let's not yes. overlook that. That's amazing. Cause if you're sitting yes. up in bed, that's awake. Mm. <laughs> awake. And there she was and there yes. she stayed for those yes. seconds or minutes. Now, did she look for all intents and purposes like a flesh and blood child in that moment or could you yes. see some sort of shadowy? I instantly knew she was a ghostly presence, but she was as, you know, as me looking at you now. Mm. So um, there she was, oh. just staring at me, just intent. That, that's what gets me every time, the eyes. You could see her soul and she was staring at me like, help me. Beautiful blue eyes, just a stunning child, just a little angel, little angel. Mm. Baffling and, and so sad to try and think of what her story was. And yes. it's wonderful that you managed to uncover about the school and that the mm. clothing, you know, that matched up. Yes. And I think you've sent me that research before and I've got it somewhere on my computer. Mm. I'll, I'll look for it. The other thing I wanted to know was, was that the first full-blown apparition that you'd seen in your life? No. Lots. Lots came before many, many. Annabelle. Where do you want me to start? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I knew this would happen, Danny, when we chatted. Oh, Corinna. <laughs> so, well, why don't you tell us about the first full-blown apparition you saw? I don't think I remember the very first one. I'm not sure. I, having worked at um, Calvary Hospital, Public Care Hospital, naturally there's lots and lots of souls wandering there trying to find their own home. They're, you know, they're way back home. Some are stuck, lots, lots of them, but some of them like to stay around because they enjoyed it so much. I think they consider that their home, the hospital. So I saw quite a few there. And there was, there was one elderly gentleman while still living, God love him. I used to work up on the second floor in the exec department and before they refurbished, my old office was known as, back in the 60s, the dying room where, you know, that they were, the patients were put, you know, weren't their last hours or whatever, cared for in that room. So I had a lot of things happen in that room that weren't overly nice or pleasant. It's like, 
you know, we really don't want you here. This is my room. And pictures would come flying off the wall and things like that. And often I would have a presence next to me that would actually say my name. They knew who I was. They go, Danielle, plain as day. Like you couldn't determine, it, I thought it was a male, but you couldn't determine whether male or female. Yes, but that happened quite a few times. And I looked around, there was no one in the office. My boss wasn't there. There was no one around. It was right there, Danielle. And I'd go, yes, and oh, there's nobody there. <laughs> Silly me, talking to myself. Anyway, <laughs> so things would often happen in that office. But back in the early days, a lot of the patients, I mean, the hospital's changed so much over the years, but back then it was mainly palliative care rather than rehab. So um, there was a lot of elderly patients um, that would come for a wander up the hallway just to have a chat because, you know, missing their family or it wasn't visiting time and they just wanted to move around and, you know, they, they knew they were maybe soon for another journey but just like to, you know, keep in touch with everyone. And I had this little gentleman, oh, he was gorgeous. Eric was his name. He was probably in his 80s, had cancer. And he used to come visit pretty much every day, probably around, I don't know, 11-ish, something like that. The head would come around the door and he'd go, Hi, Dan. Time for a cuppa? <laughs> and I would go, yeah, come on in, mate. Because, you know, it wasn't as as things are now. It wasn't as strict, you know, yeah. you know, the layout of things these days. So he would come in. I'd make him a cup of tea and get him a bicky. We'd sit and have a chat. And he just, just to listen to his life story was a joy, you know. He just wanted to tell someone. Maybe, maybe he thought, well, someone listens to my story. I can go quietly knowing that I've passed my myself on to someone mm. but he'd always turn up in these special extra special blue striped pajamas with handkerchief neatly tucked into his pocket <laughs> god lord he was gorgeous and he had a little dilly bag full of magazines papers that he collect and then as nighttime fell rather than him going back to his bed and getting his own rest he would go down to first floor ground floor and visit other patients to keep them happy, you know, just to chat and, oh, he was just glorious. So I came in one day and went up and he wasn't in his room and I thought, because oh, he was getting worse, you know, as days went on, found out that he passed away the night before and, you know, very sad, very sad. And see, when he went from our floor to every other floor, he used to use the lift outside my office and he always used to get it stuck because he pressed the wrong button or keep press, 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 press. I said, Eric, You've got to stop doing that. You'll break the lift. Ah, oh, it's not going quick enough. <laughs> so anyway, after we passed away, all of a sudden the lift started going haywire. <laughs> it'd go and it'd go, I, 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 I stop and bounce on itself. I'm going, there's nobody there at the lift. And then the light would come on the lift door like someone just pressed the lift to come up. The lift would come up. Doors opened. Nobody got in. Doors would close. Where would it go? First floor. Oh, wow. I thought, this has got to be Eric. This has got to be Eric. So anyway, as months, months went by, the nighttime nurses, who I'm sure often see many things they can't explain, being in a palliative care hospital like that, you know, but it's just part of their job, part of their day and night. So, you know, they just accept it. And I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to, you know, correspond with everybody at the nighttime. You know, it might scare someone to death, but, you know, I think it's a nice thing. Anyway. We were getting these reports that a few of the newer nurses on night shift were reporting this man 
going up and down the hallway, getting into the lift, going up to second floor or first floor, and then disappearing. So a couple of the nurses followed him one night up the hallway, plain as day, like okay. you say, in solid form. And I happened to say to one of them, what did he happen to have on? Oh, he had these blue and white striped pyjamas on, and he had this funny little hanky in his head. <laughs> and I went, well, there's confirmation about Eric. So even in death, he still wanted to stay there and go and visit his mates, do his rounds, as he used to call them, on first floor, go and visit all his mates of the night time to make sure they're all tucked in and happy and so and I think he's still there today. That's God, a beautiful me. story and I think it's an interesting distinction between and an important one as well between Annabelle and Eric and the one the distinction is that Annabelle from the from what you're saying in the story Danny she was sort of the classic earthbound spirit who has perhaps passed in a way that's violent and unexpected and sudden. Yeah. And we hear so many of these stories that I guess indicate that the spirit, when that happens, it can be such an immense shock that the person doesn't actually know they've yeah. passed. And so then they, they stay in the vicinity, not knowing mm. that they can go to the light. And, or where uh, they are or where they need to go to. Exactly. Or why can't they communicate, yeah. Exactly. And in contrast, Eric sounds like he did go to the light but yep. chose to return in visitation to keep doing this good work that he was doing yes. out of yes. love. Yes. So that's, yeah, that important distinction between the two mm. kinds of spirit apparitions that, that we can see. But I'd just yes. like to go back to Annabelle a little bit and mm. just talk a little bit more. So I just find it so astonishing that you had this experience that wasn't just a one-off, you see this apparition and, yes, it's incredible, she looks like a child and she's there. It was so much more than that. It was her reaching out to you and your husband, which is, adds an extra layer of fascination, yes. uh, and being with you in your home for quite a few weeks and sharing in um, a subtle way some of her story yeah. and asking for your help and then you were able to help her and she made herself visible to you. I just, it's just such an amazing story. And I've heard many, Danny, but, yeah, I just, I want to ask you about, the resonance between a spirit and the person who sees or experiences the spirit. So do you believe that there's something in your stories? So in the story of the person who experiences and in the story of the spirit that links them. So why do you believe you and Annabelle found each other? Yeah, good question. I don't know. You know, the, the usual things you hear, some people are open to such notions and other people aren't other people block themselves off out of fear or what have you and i, I guess because i've been um, experiencing these things for a very long time it's just it just feels natural normal to me you know um and i and i think spirit finds that link that connection i think we're all connected mm. whether we're still here or not we're all connected on this planet you and me the man down the road whoever else, we're all connected, is how we choose to use that connection and that web. And one way or another, they'll find us if, you know, if, if the love's there to connect us both, if we can help some way. I found it amazing that I could help in my earthly state and he was this little angel 
that I could help her when she's in spirit now, but because she's stuck in her little jail here on earth, but still, but not on, on earth anymore, I felt really, you know, it's a beautiful feeling to be able to send her to home. And that's the other thing, I'm, I'm, I'm with myself, I'm, I'm not sure why. I'm always looking for home, even though I'm here, I know I'm on earth, I know I've had a beautiful upbringing, I've had the most beautiful people in my life looking after me, whether it's uh, I lost mum at five months, but I've never known her. I don't remember her holding me, I don't remember her face or anything like that, but is that the connection that's binding us to, you know, I'm still looking for home because I can't wait to get to home wherever that is, even though I'm at home and I'm here on earth and this is my earthly life, but is it my real home? And I've always had that feeling that I'm here, but yet I don't belong here for whatever reason, but I'm here for something to do something, but not, still haven't quite worked it out. And even now as years go by, it's getting stronger, the pull to find out what that is. And, you know, even though I've wanted to sort of write books and things, I'm thinking that seems so menial to what I should be actually doing, you know. And I'm not sure whether that's it either, but, yeah. So, yeah, I think they find us because we all have a connection and whether you put the love out there in the first place. And I don't know. I don't know. You are someone that puts love out there more so than many, many other people. And, you know, we're all beings of love, but not all of us express that. Uh, and it's beautiful what you brought up about home, Danny. I just love that idea. And I think that so many of our listeners will relate to that yep. hunger for a home that we don't know. And there's even an old Welsh word that describes it. It's called Horaeth, which I wrote about yes. in Love Never Dies. Yes. And it's exactly yes. that feeling that you've just described. Yeah. And a lot mm. of us have it, and especially the ones that lean towards a kind of mystical, you know, sense like me, yes. like that hunger for yes. the for mysticism yes. since I was little, I didn't know quite what it was. And it channeled into stories and See, stories. That's just it. When you're that young, you don't know what it is, do exactly. you? And, and you're all then you're forever looking as your life goes grows. Exactly. That becomes stronger. But the, it's like you've been placed there and someone is watching over you and you you know about it early, but you're not comprehending what it is. Yeah. That's right. And that can take a lifetime to learn. And the other beautiful thing you said was just about mothering as well. So you and Annabelle both had in common that you were very little when you lost your mum. So you were a baby. Annabelle lost her mum. Well, she was about four or five, you thought. Yes. You know? yes. So so there's that link between you as well. Yeah. You know, And you mm -hmm. felt motherly towards her. Yes. And there's this beautiful idea that arose in me as you were talking, linking home and mother, the idea of the, the great mother as well. And we talked yes. about your, yes. your, you know, the comfort you took early on in the person of Mother Mary. And there's yes. that just beautiful idea of the, the divine, the feminine aspect of the divine oh. being kind of home to us oh. as well. Yeah. It's lovely. And that's, that feminine aspect of the divine seems to be arising more in this very strange I agree. year. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And yet we, the human race has always had the notion that, you know, God is, is male and, you know, and, and there's no doubting that there is a greater being out there and that he's male or whatever we perceive him, her to be. But 
it, it, the female motherly notion is growing more and more in me daily. Mm. It's strong, yeah. It's strong. It's strong. And there's a lot of, um, you know, in these, in these worlds that we are interested in, like a lot of talk about this arising of the divine feminine. But um, so that's amazing, Danny, that, that you had that experience with Annabelle and seeing spirits of little lost souls and having premonitions and and dreams and guidance about missing children is something that actually figures prominently in your life. There's a theme there. So Annabelle is kind of one of of many, really, who seem to be seeking your help. What do you make of this? I want to know more about this first. I want you to share about this because when you start sharing, you're going to knock people's socks off. But what, what do you make of it? I'm not sure. It's bamboozling sometimes because these children we're speaking of are like on the other side of the planet. I have no connection with in an earthly sense whatsoever. Children that may be here on the news, like, um, sorry, what was her name? The Ma- Maddie, Maddie McCann. Maddie McCann. I had four dreams about her. Now I have no connection whatsoever, only what all of us have seen on the TV and know about the story. But I had four dreams about her that actually came to pass. And the first one was when I saw her at that house, this was before I, I saw the TV vision of the place they were staying at, this that looked like, you know, the Hacienda type white. So you're wall. talking, Danny, about the, the most recent development in the case, which was... Oh, no, this is the, the, the original one. Oh, I, sorry. I oh, okay. So, t- yeah, take us back. When, when was it this first dream that you had? Oh, God. Not long after the world was made known about her disappearance and what have you. Okay. And, again, it just comes as a vision. Like, it's a dream, but it's a vision. There are slight differences, I've noticed. It's in a dreamlike state, but there are visions like, I know what's going on at the time. It's like astral travelling, if that's what you want to call it. Yep. But you're in, you're in that moment with, when you're there at the scene. And it just happened, just appeared where she was at this place they were staying at, and there was a funny-shaped courtyard, like a corner like a V and she was standing in that little courtyard section and again this look of absolute fear on her face crying her hair was all disheveled and she only had a little singlet on and you know her her shorts and what have you Um, and she was standing there like sort of dirt on her and oh the, the pain I felt just and she was looking right through me and she's going can you please help me please, where's mummy? I don't know where I am. Where's mummy? And she kept saying it over and over. And I was just, you know, taken aback. And I said, I, I wasn't sure who she was at the time or where she was. And I'm going, well, what can I do to help you? She said, where's mummy? I just want mummy. And she just kept standing there quite rigid. But the fear in her eyes was horrid. And it sort of panned back. And I could see this whole building of, and as it turned out, the next night it came on the news and he was the building I saw in the dream. And as it panned back, he was the courtyard that was she was standing in the dream. And because I, I draw everything, each vision dream I have, I keep a log and draw what I see, write what is said or anything specific that's in the picture, you know. And my husband said, that's what you drew yesterday. And I went, yes, it is. So that was the first thing. And then it just went on from there. 
and that was sort of like pre here I am you know you're not dreaming this it's I'm really sort of coming to you this is what's happening it was almost like going from chapter to chapter in the book trying to get to the end to find out what's happening um, so I had four or so of those different things there was um, one she, there was a picture of in the dream there was a vision of like an old English estate you know, on those shows, the period shows where they had the green grass. It looks like a castle out the front. It was one of those. I thought, oh, what a beautiful That's place. Stately be. home. Stately home, huge, you know, three floors, huge. Either English or somewhere in Europe, you know, one of those stately places. And I walked up the grass and thought, oh, what a lovely place. But as I got closer, I looked around the back and it's like the front was just a facade. It looked perfect, beautiful, clean, the green grass, well-manicured lawns. But as I went behind the building, it was dark, grey, the bricks were dirty, filthy. Mm. I walked into the building and it was just like, it felt instantly cold, dark, unpleasant. I didn't want to be there. But something was drawing me downstairs and I got to this group of steps, went down, and it was just like a cabin of rabbit warrens all over the place. I thought, oh, this is odd. This something's not right here. And it was like something was buried there. Someone was taking me there to show me something wasn't right with this house. It was so whoever lived there wasn't honest with in their everyday life. Was they hiding something? But I don't know who that who lived there, who it was. But I was taken to this space and as went downstairs. There was all these cabins that went off here, and a room went off there, and I went down even further opened the door and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was instant terror went through me and total despair, total despair. There was about 30 children sitting in this room on box, oh, sorry, cold shiver, on boxes, old chairs, worn out chairs, on the floor, immediately staring at me, the lot of them, as I opened the door and I just it took my breath away and I just sort of, almost burst into tears that the total dread that was coming from them, all their eyes were so sad. They weren't, a, you know, they were just just in despair. And then I realised they were all grey, so I knew they were all passed on. And they were all just sitting there looking at me. You know, they were all alive in their own little world but stuck in this room, locked away. And then this little blonde boy came forward and he looked at me and he said, can you please tell, now that you've seen this, can you please tell someone where we are? Because we're not sure. But if you know where we are, can you tell our parents where we are? Because we need to go home again, the home. Mm. And we've been here so long that, you know, we're worried that no one will ever find us. Can you please tell someone where we are? And I said, I don't know where you are. I'm not sure where you are. I don't know where this is. Can you please tell our parents finally, you know, let them know because they're worried too. They're worried about us. They don't know what happened to us. We're all here waiting to be found. Can you please tell someone? And I was just in uh, the, just the despair in their eyes was oh, cut right through your heart. And I said, I wish I knew where we are, where you are. Otherwise, I would tell you. I, I don't know where you are. And he said, just out of the blue, 
He said, by the way, you won't find Madeline. She's not here. If you're looking for her, she's not here. I said, where is she? Not sure, but she's not here. You won't find her here. And I wasn't sure whether that meant she was alive or not. And he just stared at me with this bit of anger in his eyes. And oh. I said, is she somewhere else in this building? He said, no, somewhere else altogether. But you won't find her here. And then I just sort of woke up and I cried for hours because this, oh, the emotions from these children's eyes just stayed with me for a very, very long time. But I still to this day have no idea where that is, where that place is. So I that was, it, I can draw it, but I have no idea where it is. So that was part of, was that the fourth in your sequence of yeah. Madeline McCann dreams? Yeah. And did these happen over a certain space of time or were they very spaced out? Uh, probably over one every few months, perhaps. Yeah, starting from when she disappeared. So maybe a year to two years, perhaps. It strikes me that that little boy, how you said he had anger in his eyes when he said that. Did you, what do you make of that? Because my initial sense was, is almost like, you know, you're all looking for her, what about us kind of thing? Yes, correct. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what they said initially. Can you please, that was so earnest. You've opened the door, you've found us. Can you please tell our parents where we are? Can you please tell them we're here? And I just didn't know where they were. I still don't. Well, it's and they're still out there. Mm. I know they're still waiting. He said, we've been waiting so long. And they all looked at me. Their eyes were almost black like they'd given up but they couldn't move on because of whatever happened to them they had nowhere else to go but they had each other in this confined space so they're all with each other but they can't be where they want to be and the oh, whole place was dark yeah gloomy horrid, horrid. So, so to them so it's dark where where is the light to them like it's not exactly. even yeah and what yeah. What's your interpretation of that, Danny? Is it just that they're in such a space of darkness from the suffering that they've endured yes. that yep. they don't even know that yes. there is the possibility of light and love? Yep, yep. I think they're aware that they're, they're stuck in this place and that when they're found, they will be released. But who do they contact to open the door? I open the door in the dream, but not where they actually are. There was nothing I could do. And they're all aged between three, four, up to about 13 of different ages. Mm. Boys and girls. Boys and girls. Yeah. And they're all just sitting there like this with their heads on the side like, are you going to leave us here too? It was a horrible feeling. Horrible. Do you feel that the, the home that you saw, so what initially appeared to be this grand, beautiful home, and then as you, as you went through the door, you saw that it wasn't that at all. Do you feel that that was a metaphor or a symbol? Or do you feel that a kind of rich and stately home has a part to play in, you know, in, in the suffering, yes. mass suffering of children? Or yes. what do you think? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think there's probably a group of people hiding something who know about this place, wherever it is. But whoever owns the place is you know, the one who's overseeing it all but and knows they're there and just got them locked away in this torturous situation. But um, 
whether we'll find, I think we will find out one day where this place is and who it is. And I think there will be shock as to who it is behind it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So I hope one day soon they'll be found. Yeah. But Madeline wasn't there. Yes, she wasn't there. So have you had any other communication from Madeline since those four yep. dreams? Yeah, tell us about it. Three months ago. I was in a place like P1 at the Quay. That's what it looked like inside P1. And there were, you know, games for the kids, uh, rides for the kids inside. Uh, and then... I was meeting someone there, I wasn't sure who it was, but Madeline's mother appeared and she was with someone also, another lady, I don't know who that was. And um, we were just talking and what did she say to me? Uh, no, I had, a, oh, that's right. Madeline was with me, like she was there. I could feel the presence and she kept saying to me, tell mum, tell mum. I will come, I will be coming home or coming back, but she needs to let go of something. And I'm, I just have to get my notes out. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yes, you've you've emailed me to. as well. So I'll, I'll check them as well. You've yeah. emailed me back when you had the dream. Yeah. Yes. And um, so I passed a message on to her mother and she looked at me and sort of smiled and said, yes, I believe you, but uh, not really. I said, no, I don't think, you know, Madeline's not, I didn't want to say Madeline's not with us anymore, but she wants to come home, but you, the mother needs to do something, needs to go. She had another child. Is it, do they have another child? Another yes. little girl. Do they yes. have a little girl? Yes, they do. She needs to take the little girl. Her mother and the little girl need to go somewhere. It's somehow linked with the other child and they will find either Madeline or find out but they need to go somewhere and the mother needs to let go of something and to believe that Madeline will come home, but not as she, not maybe not alive, but she wants, again, wants to come home. She wants to be brought home, but Madeline is watching over all of them. She is around the family, but the mother won't accept that. That's, that's what it was. The mother won't accept that she's has died, that she is possibly still out there being held by someone in a far off country or being used for child okay. slavery or what have you, something like that. But Madeline said, no, I am with them always. And then she put herself, Madeline, in between her own mother and the little girl and held them and mm -hmm. smiled. And the mother looked at the little girl like, did you feel that? And this was in the dream. And Madeline's smiling at me. She said, I'm here. Tell her I'm here. And I'm, I'm okay now and I want to come home, but she's got to let go of these other notions and the truth will come out. The truth will, yeah. So, and we did have some recent developments too in, in that case and then it all sort of stalled again, interestingly. Yeah, but it was like a peer, like mm. the mother was taking children for a day out. It was just like Pier 1 down at the rocks. Yeah. Similar, similar place to that. I sent you the picture of a place in England. Oh, yes, the place in England, yes. Yes, yes, yeah, just that? like that. Again, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Brighton, Brighton, Brighton Pier. I think it was Brighton Pier that I just sent you. Just like that, yes, correct. Okay. That's exactly how it looked, yeah. How interesting, Danny. Like, so whether they had gone there, like yeah. the parents took them there, like we said, maybe took them there as when they were 
extra little. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It's yeah, as you say, like these dreams are more visions, more sort of astral traveling. It 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 oh. does, you know, make us think that perhaps there was that moment where they went out and did that and for some yeah. reason your connection with Madeline. And especially in Madeline's mind is a, a beautiful togetherness of the family and that this is where I belong. Yeah. So that's where she's, that's where she is now. Yeah. And it's interesting what Madeline seemed to be implying in that the mum's desperate grief, um, yes. which of course is so understandable yeah. and her desperation to, to cling to that hope that she's still alive. She's not sort of letting Madeline come home in a way. Yeah. Yes. And I've heard yes. that idea before that we can cling too much yes. to the loved one. Yeah. And yeah. in a way, hand. Well, I've, done, I've done that myself with dad. I was so distraught that I never got to say goodbye or, you know, that you hang on forever. You still think they're there. Yes. So you cling for all your life. Well, that's another. They haven't really gone, haven't left without you, you know, yes. until you say or, or have it been shown to you that it's okay. And say to them, it's okay, you can go, I get it now, I'm sorry, I held you back. Daddy came, came to visit with mum and said, we're together, I found her, we're okay. Because he would constantly come in dreams where he would, it, the whole dream was white. But there was a corner, a wall and a corner. He would look around the corner at me with despair and grey and worry because he couldn't find me, couldn't get back to me and couldn't find mum, but I was the one holding him because I was so distraught that I never got to hold him when he left. And you have got an amazing connection with your father and it goes back to other lifetimes. And I do, I do want to touch on that as well, but did you want to share the story about Daniel Morecambe? Um, yeah, that was, that was similar to uh, Madeline, I guess. Um, yeah, they all, they all come in little stories. Um, like you're watching a little movie, a vision movie, you know. Um, yeah, again, asleep one night, just out of the blue for no reason. I could see what seemed to be a pond or a swamp with grasses around it. And again, panning back, I could see like a shoe partially in the water of this little pond white shoe with a red, you know, like a Nike sign, but it wasn't a Nike, it was just a little shoe on its side, just one shoe. And then this little voice from the right said, again, see, it's the same scenario, isn't it? Bizarre. Um, I'm here. They've nearly found me, is what he said. They're in the right area. They've nearly found me. Can you tell them to hurry up because I really want to go home because mum's... I'm missing mum, I'm missing my parents. She, and he said, they're, they're in the right area. They just need to come over here to this side of the pond or whatever. Can you tell them where I am? But he didn't look distraught because he knew they were coming. He said, I know they're going to find me, but they're, they're just a bit slow on it. Can they hurry up? And he said, I'm really missing my parents. I, I really want to go home. Can you tell them to hurry up? I'm here, here, here I am. And again, pan back. And here was this overall picture of this swamp, pond, whatever you want to call it, surrounded by long grass and few trees behind it and reeds and that sort of thing. And he was just sitting on the side 
just sitting there, you know, like he was sitting on a swing, just looking at me going, can you tell them to hurry up, please? I really want to go home. I'm missing mum. They're nearly here. They're nearly here. They'll find me, but they're too slow. When did you have that dream in the scheme of uh, Daniel's disappearance? And he disappeared in, uh, I believe, I'll double check, but I believe it's 2003. Mm. It was probably a couple of days later they found him. So it was, like you said, they're almost here. They're, they're in the right area. Mm. And on the TV, when I saw on the news that they had found him and I looked at the picture again and it panned back, there you go. And there was the shoe. Yeah. Just it wasn't the dream. Yeah. And what what's fascinating is that when you told me about this dream and we'd been chatting about all sorts of things for years, but you had never told me about this one. When you yes. did tell me about it in an email, I said to you, Danny, did you know that the first thing that was found before Daniel's body was found was his shoe? And um, you, you didn't know uh, that. No. No. I was trying to work out what sort of shoe it was because it wasn't a special Nike shoe, but it had some sort of marking on it. Yeah. It was white. And it wasn't the old sort. It was like a Dunlop, you know, the old Dunlop yeah. tennis shoes, if you like, something yeah. like that. What's also very touching about these stories, apart from the, the beautiful theme of wanting to get home, is that there's a sense that the child is in the spirit world. They, they are fine. But the idea of them wanting to be found, their remains, is about this is what I get, Danny. This is the sense I get listening to you. Is about the parents' healing. It's not yes. something they need. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that too? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Well, you know, they're hanging on for for life, aren't they? For hoping that their child, their their love in this world, will be found. That part of them will reappear, and life can go on as whatever normal is. You know, their their hearts that's been torn out so thank yeah. you for sharing those stories because I know that you never want any sort of attention and you never want to no. in any way distress the families and yeah. I think I appreciate your trust in in sharing those extraordinary experiences and you know let's um let's hope that all the children who need to find home find home That's indeed just, let that be our prayer yeah so, so you mentioned your beautiful dad yes. and when did, when was it that he passed away, Danny? Um, twenty ten, June. Uh, okay, a couple of days after his ninety second birthday. Again, there's that nine and two or eleven. That yeah. eleven number that keeps coming up all the time. Doesn't it just? Yeah. Yeah. We went to visit him for his birthday, uh, and he'd always been this brightly in a band all his life. Loved music. As do you, Drummer. <laughs> yes, runs in the family. Every male on Dad's side of the family is a drummer or a muso of some sort, except my beautiful brother who got the looks and the brains. The rest of us got the musical instruments. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, yeah, Dad just loved life. He was just a joy. Loved everybody. Loved everybody on earth. It was nice to everybody. And just a happy soul. Yep. And... Uh, and we were very close because, you know, he was my only parent, even though my grandparents were there. Dad was the only parent. And um, we were just very close. Yep. And I know that you 
you have a real connection to Native American culture and a real sense that you've lived a lifetime there, not just you, but your dad as well. Yes. Is it right to say that your father in that Native American life was the same dad you had in this life? Apparently so. Tell Apparently us about so. that and how you came to discover this. Well, again, ever since a young child, I've been fascinated with the Native American Indians, even, you know, four or five years old. I used to make things out of leather. I used to love, you know, I didn't want the board game, so I want things I could do with my hands, the beads. I was making everyone necklaces, bangles, you name it. That was my thing, making little pouches. Back then, you know, like the old-fashioned leather pouches I used to wear. Just loved doing it. Of course, drums and that sort of thing. School plays, I was always the Indian, probably because I had the longest hair. <laughs> my, Mum, my grandmother used to put my hair in long plaits and then I'd wrap it around with leather. And everyone said, why do you keep doing that with your hair? Because it feels good, you know, it's, it's what I do. It's so funny, it's not a normal yeah. thing for a kid to do, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> oh, dear. You don't know our family, Karina, we're not oh. at all normal. Who wants to be normal? No, I'm just oh. saying that it points to, well, later in life you make that connection between the past yes. life. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and all, all through life I've been making things, you know, with feathers and I just love making things for people no matter what it is, out of feathers, out of beads and leather and whatever else. Anyway, it's just an ongoing thing, thread through my life. And Dad and I made a pact many years ago that and I've always wanted to have a white Christmas in a log cabin in Canada, no idea why, no idea. Just something I've wanted to do with a passion. So Dad and I said, we made a pact. I said, yes, we'll do that, and we'll go and visit the Indians, and we'll stay in a teepee, and you can, you know, da 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 da. da. Of course, never happened, unfortunately. But anyway, yeah, later on in life, and, and Dad knew how I was with this Native American Indian stuff, so he'd buy me many books on the subject and. I mean, very strange for a blonde Aussie girl who loved the beach and just no connection whatsoever mm. until I went to see a psychic medium, which I've never done and never felt the need to. I've just been happy um, experiencing these things for myself and happy knowing that I know what's, not that I know what's out there, I'm aware of things and I'm happy with that in my own space, not putting it or wanting to put it on people or, you know, but knowing there's something amazing magical out there that we as humans in this state have no comprehension of there's so so much more so anyway i went to this psychic medium and she said um your dad's here and i went oh excellent she said he's playing a drum I went, yep that was dad he was a drummer all his life and she said do you have some connection with the native americans and i went well, I've loved them all my life. I don't know what the connection is, but I guess I do in my soul somewhere. There's some sort of, you know, connection. I don't know what that is. She said, well, there's a, another, another man here too. He's very tall, long hair, feathers in his hair, painted face, and there's a, a Palomino horse in the background. His name is Broken Feather, and everything I do has been with feathers. And he said... He's still looking after you after all these years. He's still watching over you. And as soon as she said that, I had a shiver go through me because many, many times I do like, it's sort of a, a tarot card thing, but, you know, 
ask it a question and you know these cards come up with varied answers what have you and many many times it's come up and I've never understood what it meant the very first card said there is a medicine man in the spirit world who sends his love and watches over you and I've never understood what that meant until she said that particular day and then she said he was a medicine man and then that thing you know correlated and he was your father in a previous life and I went and instantly everything seemed to start to gel the pieces were starting to come together you were his daughter and back then women were not allowed to be medicine women it was only the men were allowed to be medicine men so he taught you how to work with leather feathers beads da 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 but he also taught you the ways of the medicine, but you weren't allowed to practice it because you're a woman, a girl. And then she said, and your father just, and she, she said, oh yeah, your mother's here too. And in your past life, your ma mother also died in childbirth. I never told her that. And I went, oh my goodness. She said, you never had a mother in your past life either. So you've always had just your dad. And I went, Oh, and it was just overwhelming. Wow. And she said, your mother, who's here now, says she's never left your side. She's always there, always with you, always. And I went, okay. And it, I was just getting real teary because things were starting to. And she said, did, the connection with the drum, she said, did you not connect that your dad being a drummer and a Native American Indian? So at the time, I didn't. I thought, dad's just a drummer. He's in a band, you know, yeah. music is our life. And then when she said, the drumming of the American Indians. And I went, oh, yes, of course, connections, connections everywhere. And he was Cherokee. And I said, did I have a name? Do, do you know if I had a name in the Native American? And she, she said, I can't place it. She said, maybe something to do with feathers. She said, he's, he's broken feather for sure. And she said, I can see this palomino by a stream, da, 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 da. Well, okay. And she said, he's always there, always watching over you. Okay, great, terrific. That tells me a lot. And then dad, et cetera, being, you know, and of course mum died when I was five months. So there's that parallel again. So anyway, after speaking with her, that opened my eyes to a lot of things and sort of gelled a few things. I, I, as soon as she said, yes, you were a Native American in the past life, I felt instant, oh, yeah, that feels right, that's me. Couldn't work out why a surfy chick could possibly be a... But as soon as she said it, it almost felt like I was home for a minute and that's where my passion lies. And it has ever since. And now my doing these things has a purpose now and I know why I'm doing them. So get home and walk in the front door. I've, I've moved it now, but I've had a, a huge picture of a Native American Indian man He's like, I've always said he's my guardian for whatever reason. I don't know why. And my husband bought it for me many years ago for a Christmas present. And um, I walked in the door and looked at it. Because she kept saying to me, the, the medium, that um, oh, we, she said, it's got something in his hair, but it's a, a feather's broken or something. That's, that's who he was, broken feather. Yeah. She kept, and when I walked in the door and looked at it, he's staring, because it's a huge picture, staring at me. Here's the feathers in the hair, broken feather on the bottom, and in the background there's the Palomino horse by the stream. Wow. And she even, oh, that's right, she even said, your husband got you something? He, he's, he's with you all the time, meaning in the house. 
Oh, I walk in the door, yeah. here he is. He's watching over you. And that's how I've always thought of this picture. And she said, your husband got it for you. And I went, there's the Palomino horse by the stream. There's the feathers. That's amazing. Always be there. Yeah. That's amazing, Danny. And I think another beautiful theme of our discussion today is our interconnectedness and our oneness. And, you know, it's funny that you say, oh, why would this surfy chick, you know, from Sydney be into it? But, but as you said earlier, the, the only bounds, boundaries around are the ones that we establish, that we put up. But really, there is no boundary even between the living and the dead or between cultures or between, you know, the past, the present and the future. It's all just oneness that's arising so I guess I guess that's how you would have that connection with the Native Americans as well as with the children who have gone who reach out to you it's all about that oneness isn't it yeah yeah it doesn't matter if Maddie is in England and you're in Australia like that we know from so many stories that time and space don't figure in these experiences so it's just so beautiful and that's why you don't say anything why i don't say anything because even though i was having these four dreams about maddie and i was so strong and i was getting this strong emotional you know connection you want to tell someone this is what i've seen i don't know whether it's helpful or whether it is just a dream i know it's not just a dream but if you tell someone it's a dream and especially when these people are going through such trauma themselves about their child, you don't want to hurt them anymore than they are already hurting. So you think, okay, well, they're probably getting thousands of other things being pushed in their face that aren't real, that aren't, I don't want to do that to them too. So you keep it to yourself, even though you think maybe it might be helpful. Mm -hmm. And if it came down the track and when we eventually find out and it pans out to something, and I see what happened and I had the information, didn't relay it, I will still feel bad that I didn't relay it. You know what I mean? Even oh. though... Hmm. But your, your reasoning makes utter sense, you know. These hmm. people are often bombarded and most of the time yeah. it's not helpful. So I can understand why you would in no way want to add to their distress. Hmm. And let's just hope that, you know, you're sharing it today and if it's of service and it's meant to find its way to someone in particular that that you know somehow your the beautiful yes, yeah. intention of your heart will enable that mm-hmm. and our our Thank meeting you. today you know yes, like, exactly it's for a reason yes yes, yes. Yep. oh yeah. danny um i want to ask you about your fr- speaking of of beautiful connections and you've got so many of them with your wonderful father and your grandparents your mum there's a friend that you have that is in the spirit world now. His name is Emmanuel. And yes. there's a beautiful story around Emmanuel. Would you share that with us, please, Danny? Sure. Well, Emmanuel, have to be an angel name, wouldn't it? Yes, it would have to. <laughs> and just off the cuff, have, have you ever noticed that all the angels have names with like double L or an L or so forth, and L like the number 11? Yes. A connection? I've just oh, noticed that. Yes, I'd never thought of that. No, that yep. it looks yep. like one. Yeah. Yeah. Never and the wings are, yeah, you know, a pair of wings to 11. 11 is the angel number, of course, as you know. So, and in the angels' names, there's always a double L. Yes. Most yep. of the time, anyway. And Emmanuel means God with us. Ah, see? Yeah, my beautiful Emmanuel. This was back in the 70s. Uh, we were good mates. He was like a brother to me. 
tall, dark, and handsome was Emmanuel. <laughs> had a beautiful family. Had a, had a best mate that he used to go out with all the time. We used to go to discos and dance our lives away all night, every night, when we were healthy enough to do it back then. And work never mattered the next day if you got home at three o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> Emmanuel was a, a pilot, small planes, you know, like water planes, sea planes. Yeah, and he, was, he said one day that he was going to Queensland to do a aerial viewing for a real estate place and that he would be away a few days. So, okay, so, and we used to meet in the city and have lunch quite often and just, you know, catch up with each other because, you know, we were all leading different lives at the time, but we are always very close. He was just like this bloodly connection and he would always look after me, always. Even when, you know, you get these sly pickups in the disco, Enter Emmanuel quietly to the side. Okay. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful human being. So anyway, off he went on his plane ride and um, hadn't heard anything. And I rang his mate and said, have you heard from Emmanuel yet? Has he, has he come home yet? No, no, he's okay. He should be back um, today or yesterday or whatever. I haven't heard yet. We'll, we'll hear from him. He said, okay. So I was living with a girlfriend at the time. Beautiful, crisp, bright, sunny morning. Woke up about five a.m. Sun streaming in the window. Glorious, glorious day. And as I opened my eyes, I just looked to the side, to my left. Here's Emmanuel standing there in all his glory, in his white pilot uniform, looking as handsome as ever, just staring at me with a smile on his face. And I just sort of jumped and said, first of all, I said, how did you get in? <laughs> Because I was living with a girlfriend and I was upstairs. My room was upstairs. <laughs> How did you get in? And he just sort of smiled. He didn't answer me. And I thought, it's odd. I said, what are you doing here? Didn't answer me. He's looking at And things started to click in. And even though the sun was shining, he was there. But there was something, something about him was different. And he seemed to have, I realised there was this foggy aura around him, maybe. White, very slim aura around him. And then I realised he, he had, you know, acne problems as a kid and what have you and had sort of, you know, the marks on his face. Didn't take away from the handsome boy that he was. But, and then I, as I was looking at him and not getting an answer, I realised his face was like porcelain. It was just stunningly beautiful complexion. And I went, okay. And then when he wasn't answering me, I, I just started to get this overwhelming feeling. And I said what are you doing here, Manny? He said, I'm okay. Everything will be all right. Just saying to say goodbye. I'm okay. Don't worry about me anymore. Please don't worry. I love you. And he faded and then he disappeared. And then I just realized he's gone somehow. He wasn't with us anymore. I just, this terrible sinking feeling, but it's his face that, that made me realise the most. He, he, he's porcelain. He was glowing. That's what it was. He was glowing. It wasn't an aura. He was just glowing with, I don't know, heavenly whatever. <laughs> and so I got up and I'm walking around the room and I said, I know I've seen that. I know what I just saw. Went into my girlfriend's room. Did you see anything? No. What are you doing? What are you up so early for? So I was hurriedly waiting for the time to pass so I could ring his mate and say, have you heard from Manny? Finally got on to him and he said, 
no, no, not yet. He, you know, he'll be home. He, you know, he should have come home yesterday. I haven't heard from the family, so I guess he's settling back in. Okay. Days went past, nothing. Rang again. I said, I'm getting worried as, as Manny returned. Uh, no, but he should be okay. And so I proceeded to tell Tony the story, what happened. Tony is not one to believe anything like this whatsoever in any lifetime. Told me what an idiot I was, don't be so ridiculous, and got angry with me that I would say such a ridiculous story. I said, well, that's what I saw. And I said, I'm really worried about Manny. And I've got this terrible feeling in my gut that something has gone wrong. Can you please tell me when you speak to him, when he comes home? Yeah, okay, it'll be right. Just, you know, basically go away, you know. Okay. A couple of days later, I bumped into Tony at one of the places that Hurstville used to go to, used to dance. He had this look of horror. And um, he said, oh, do you want to go and get a drink? And I said, no, not really. I said, what, what's happened? What's wrong? Cut a long story short, Manny had an accident in his plane. It went down in a dam with the real estate guy. And as they were coming into land, something was just under the surface of the water that clipped the bottom of the plane, spun it over, they went headfirst down. And at this stage, the plane was missing. They didn't, hadn't even found the plane. They were just missing. And I had this terrible sinking feeling. And I said, do you believe me now that something is amiss? No, no, it's all right. It's probably not him. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it took a while. It took three or four weeks to actually find the plane because back then there wasn't the resources they have now. They eventually used some Navy equipment to find underwater. They eventually found it. Manny and the other gentlemen were still strapped in their seats in his beautiful white uniform and um yeah bless him so he came to say goodbye that day and when we found out when it happened it was more or less the same day so he came that morning because they did get up early apparently the last log book entry was they got up early this particular morning to get a head start so this real estate gentleman could do whatever he needed to do the rest of the day after they mapped out the report of the, the land they were overseeing so oh. Well, thank you for sharing that, Danny. That, yeah. That's a beautiful story. And, you know, if we can honour the memory of the handsome Emmanuel today, one of the many apparitions that you mentioned you'd seen in your life prior to little Annabelle. Uh, well, I think that's a good thing, you know, if we remember. Well, he still has his wings, doesn't he? He does. He has his wings for sure now. Exactly. Forever too. Forever. Yeah. Now, uh, Danny, we, we are slowly approaching the end of our conversation and I want to um, talk to you about something life-changing that you went through last year, your cancer diagnosis. Tell us, talk us briefly through that, please, Danny, and how you're feeling today and what you've, because I know this has impacted you so much, this journey, and changed you in many ways as well. Tell us about what you've learned and drawn from this. Hmm. Well, no one ever expects a cancer diagnosis, me either, <laughs> working, but working at a palliative care hospital. You know, you see so many people in distress and in pain and hoping you can help them in some way in whatever capacity you know you can that but you don't think it's going to happen to you sort of thing and um yeah it just came out of the blue and dr rang me and said okay you know it's cancer breast cancer 
and instantly you go into immediate lockdown. Your brain, body, soul just goes into an instant grey, like someone's pulled the shade down. And I happened to be at work at the time, and I was trying to not crack or give anyone any indication of what I was just told. I was trying to deal with it because I thought, no, I've heard her wrong. She's she's telling me something else. I didn't really hear that, but. No, it was that. And she, she was still talking and I'm going, I'm not taking in anything you're saying. What are you telling? Anyway, got off the phone, went to my manager and, and went home because we were waiting on results and hadn't heard for a few weeks. So thinking, oh, it's all okay. You know, it must be okay. And my husband rang just before I left work and I didn't want to tell him straight away because he's a train driver and it would impact him greatly. And I didn't want to upset him because he's... He's a very, very caring person himself. He's a beautiful human being and I didn't want to upset him or have him distraught, you know, while he's driving the train. And so I said, um, oh, you know, it's okay. Tell you when you get home, you know, all okay. Um, he said, oh, well, I'll be home at such and such a time. I said, okay, hon, all good, don't worry. But I had to catch the train, bus, train home by myself and, you know, you're trying to, you want to cry, but trying you're alone so you didn't know how to deal with it even though you hear the stories of how to and you're telling other people at different times through your career that you just don't know you're not prepared for it and nobody is nobody is some people are strong some people aren't some people just go oh, okay anyway got home and i think i was in shock because i didn't really cry i just didn't know what to do so i just sort of wandered around the house for a while until my husband came home and of course he got upset and we just had a good cry and said, okay, well, let's get on with it. we just got to get on with it. And because I don't have a lot of family, Michael doesn't have a lot of family around, so it was just him and I basically started the journey. Off we went. The chemo, the radiation, the surgery, all the way along, finding out new things about our human existence mm-hmm. in ourselves just through the journey, you know, and things that come to you that you thought you knew before, thought you were aware of, but become so more, you know, impacting your life and your soul and shedding away things that really don't matter at all, you know. But, again, positives come out of it, this great sense of positivity that, okay, we can get through this, we can get through lots of things, and how can I help someone else do that? How can... And all the way along, my beautiful husband, he's a wonderful gardener. And because this is just before COVID hit, so it was July 2019, we started the journey. And because we couldn't go anywhere because, you know, the treatment and you're so tired and sick and ill and trying to tell yourself you'll be okay, you'll be okay, trying to pick yourself up and... You're just tired, get on with it and all, all the things that happen along the journey that you weren't expecting that you think, make you think of not just the next day, the next hour, the next minute. Will I last tonight? Will I last? Of course I will. Well, don't be stupid. Let's go. But all through that, Michael had this garden nurturing out the back for me because that was the only place we could really go to find solace. We couldn't go anywhere because we couldn't travel because I was sick. And we were scared to, because if something happened, because a few odd things happened out of the blue, we weren't expecting just reactions to things. So we just decided we'd stay close to home, just do what we need to do at home and just, you know, keep going. 
So we never travelled anywhere because people say, oh, why don't you go down the coast? Why don't you go there for a weekend? No. No. We're okay in our own company. And it nurtured this garden for me, which is just an absolute joy. And we have little visitors in there and we made our own magic garden. We have Reggie, our blue tongue wizard, who's been with us for quite some time. We have praying mantises and birds and all who are part of our family and part of this jigsaw puzzle that is the cancer journey. And all the time, just him and I joined on this journey as one without, you know, we, when I say we had no help, you know, there's family around, but, you know, life takes over and people need to deal with things in their own ways too. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't mind that much. It was just Michael and I because we love each other so much that we knew we could do it, even though you're faced with these enormous hurdles to get over. But who isn't in this situation? Everyone has terrible things to deal with. A lot worse than me. I'm just very grateful I got to the end. But great help from him and our little garden. So I'm going to try and honour him in some way. So well, the beautiful nurses at the, at the oncology units, they're just angels. They're just amazing, amazing human beings. They are earth angels for sure. They're just glorious. I mean, without them, you wouldn't get through. You're terrified. And they explain and they're happy and joyous and make you feel like part of even though it's a cancer family it's still a family and we're all thrown into this you know without warning but you have this sense of family even though we don't know each other at the start going to chemo sessions we all become brothers and sisters and someone's you know there's my new dad over there and how are you going sweetheart how are you going today and he's hooked up to all these things and he's not having a good day but you know here we are. So lot, lots of lessons, lots of beautiful things to come out of it. So and you see the joy in, in humans. It should shine a lot more than the other things that get in the way. Oh, it's amazing, Danny, what you're sharing in that something that most of us perceive as dark and frightening, like a cancer diagnosis, can actually just somehow shine light. Yeah. Yes. In and of itself and outwardly as well. And and to help you see the light in others as well. Like it's just so counter you do almost counterintuitive in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is. I mean you hear the word cancer, anybody, and you go, oh, instant terror, instant fear. And it is. It's all those things. But the journey is worth the end at the end, what what how you've grown and what you acquired along the way. And those who don't make it to the end, they're just going over the rainbow somewhere else, but they're also in a beautiful place. And they've also encountered beautiful people and, you know, and with things to learn from them, you know, their journey was not for nothing. We're all, we're all in this together. So that's, yeah. that's just beautiful. And, Prior to your cancer journey, you had written a memoir and it's unpublished. It's unpublished and you've been working on it for some years. But one thing you told me was that you now want to revisit following your cancer, you know, healing journey and you're looking fabulous these days. I'm feeling quite good from what you what I am. Thank you very much. I'm Thank so you. glad. Thank you. You mentioned to me, Danny, some time ago that you want to revisit your memoir now. Yeah. Why, why is that? What do you want to change? Because when I first wrote it, it 
I think I was purging my emotions for what had happened in my life at that time. And I think putting them down, and they say, you know, write things down and clear your soul. But it was lots of things churning in my mind. I wanted to get the life story out then. When I lost Dad, it, it seemed to just want to explode in me and because I had a bad... Because I'd worked at the palliative care hospital for 29 years and it was I, a place I loved with a passion, the people who work there, the good work they do and feeling part of that family too. Something happened the same, uh, the same month more or less that Dad died that shocked me to the core and took me to another place. So, and you think, why did that happen? I, I don't understand. I've been here a long time. I love this place. I love everyone I'm with. Why, why are you doing this to me? What, what have I done? But the, I couldn't comprehend because it was so traumatic and then Dad leaving me without warning as well. Mm. There was all these unanswered questions that everything... So many things happened at once and compacted that were like ripped my soul and my heart out and threw it to the wind and left me with an empty shell and I'm going, totally made me rethink who the hell I was and everything I was doing was worthless up until that moment that I tried so hard and wanted to do because I loved doing it, that I thought was the right thing, made me feel so worthless, useless, and like, wasn't I worthy enough to know about dad and everything else? And, and why didn't you come to me about the job? Because I, I was given, wasn't given any notice about what happened. So that left me feeling totally just like a number after all this time. And that no one really had the respect just to come to me. Whatever happened didn't matter. It's the way it was done. And why couldn't you include me when I thought we were family when I thought we were in this together. And the same with Dad. No one told me he was dying. However, the day he died, I spoke to him at 11am and he was a bit distraught and I said, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, I need to talk to you. I said, yes. He said, I said, you're upset. Why are you upset? He said, I've been ringing the bell for over an hour and no one's coming. No one's coming to my aid. I said, are you unwell? Are you in? And I'd never heard him like that. And I said, well, hang up the phone because that was in Castle Hill and I was over here in Sutherland Shire. I couldn't get to him quickly. I didn't drive. I didn't have a car and I couldn't get to him quickly. So I said, you hang up and I'll ring the office and see what's going on and get someone to go to you now, okay? And then I'll ring you back and we can talk and you can tell me what you want to tell me. And I said, I love you. He said, I love you. I said, talk to you soon. Hung up. For over an hour, I rang every phone in that place. No one answered until eventually a lady picked up the phone who was the cleaner in one of the nurses' offices. And I said, are any of the nurses there? I've been ringing for over an hour. Well, some, someone walked in and then took the phone off her and I explained and I said, it's, you know, this is Mr G's daughter and I'm worried about him. He's, he's been pressing the buzzer and no one's going to him and it sounds quite distressed. Can you tell me what's going on? Well, she just laughed and said, oh, no, he's all right. He's just having a bad day. I said, no, that's not Dad. I said, there's something wrong. And I said, can you please go to him right now if you have time? I understand you're very busy. I work in a hospital too. I understand. But I said, can you please and can you ring me back and tell me what's happening? No one ever rang me back, ever. 
I tried to ring Dad back over and over and over all afternoon. He never answered until I got a call that night at 8.37. He's gone from my brother, but no one included me in that process. I could have been but, there with him, so I never got... The work situation echoed that from what you're yes. saying. Like it's the same yes. feeling of... Yeah. yeah, which seems to have plunged you into what, you know, what they call the dark night of the soul, like this intense suffering, Danny. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that was so all your mental yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was alluding to that and yeah. being hard done by and, and more more the question of it all, why? Why would you do this to me when I think I'm, I think I'm a good person, but if I've done something, tell me I'll fix it. I couldn't work out why I would be ignored and left out when, you know, you, you tried to spread the love and try to include everybody yourself. So yeah. why would you do this to the two most important things in my life, my dad and this job that I've loved for 29 years? Why would you not include them? So that's what the book, it was, it was about that, but it was also from the very, I thought, okay, I'll go from the very beginning when mum died when I was five months that day. We started that day. So it's all these, I was trying to loop the losses, if you like, in my life. The losses. Yeah. There are all these losses and yeah. that I was trying to maybe loop them together and make them into some sort of dream catcher for myself that would be mine. Mm. That I would find out what the end story would become and I would find out the answers that I've been longing for, for since I was a baby. But they never came. And then all of a sudden, this cancer thing came out of the blue. It's like God tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, we'll get some answers and you'll see why. But we'll take the journey together. I won't leave you alone this time. Or will Dad, or will your grandparents, or will Mum. And come, we'll come out the other end and I sort of get it now. <laughs> you know, there's a lot I don't know and won't till I'm over the other side, but... It's not a problem for me. I'll try to try and do my best and try and help where I can. And the pain that's there, it's all for a reason. You need to go through these things to open up the soul even more, or open up the love even more, because that's, you know, that's what is the centre of it all. And that's a dream, a little dream catcher, the centre. Well, it's right behind you, this beautiful dream catcher. I can see it. Yes. So I love yes. how you describe life as a dream catcher. That's just, yeah. Because we're all connected. Whether we know it or not, and whether people want or people don't even realise they're connected to other things until something happens and then all the little threads will come together and they'll go, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, or open your eyes to something else or someone else or a reason for someone entering at that particular point in time and then funny, they just disappeared and you never see them again. But maybe that was an earth angel that you needed to learn from. Yes. Or something like that. And uh, the other thing I love about your story is that interconnectedness that you talk about isn't just with people, it's with the environment, it's with, you know, with that beautiful healing garden that Michael created yeah. for you as oh, such yes. a beautiful blessing. It's with, yep. with the animals and the insects, it's with everything. Yes. And, and, and there's yeah. signs there too, all over the place. Yes. You just got to find, you just got to look and see the magic, just open, open your eyes, right in front of you. And so if you were to revise your memoir, Danny, yep. you, what would you do? Would you be bringing in some of that understanding of the interconnection? Yes, indeed, of course. Yeah. And go back and take out the bits where I was angry and hurting so much and rearrange it so there was a reason for it, right? you know, make it circular, not pointy, make it soft, not 
not a harsh, angry. That's so. But there's a reason for it all. There is, and and what you said about the suffering opening up the heart to more love is really profound. Yeah, mm. I think a lot of the audience will will relate to that, and they will draw solace from that as well because everyone's going through so much, especially in this year. And I've got a lot of listeners in the US who have been hit so spectacularly with COVID. We've been very lucky in in comparison. I wonder yeah. if you have any insights that you want to share about 2020 and what it signifies on a personal and a collective level? I think 2020 was meant to happen, to be honest, for a while. Past couple of years, I've just had a feeling, and I've even said to people at work, silly, isn't it, when you think back on it? I feel like something's going to happen or the world needs to change. God's not happy. That's, that's what I was getting all the time. God is not happy with us on planet Earth. We need to change something or else he will change it for us or whoever the spirit is you believe in, you know, something will change. And I've had that feeling for a while, you know, but it, you would never in a million years think it would be something like a COVID. You think earthquakes, you think, you know, different parts of, parts of the world are changed. This is a total rearrangement of planet Earth for every human being on this planet is affected, has been affected. So many lives have been taken because of it. Maybe God needs them to do something else some, somewhere else, you know, for good. And it's not that their lives were, were just wasted with COVID. They, they were, all their lives are so special and meaningful and have merit. All their lives are a story that we need to remember. But can you imagine every single human being is affected? Man, woman, child, animal, everything. So... That's got to make you think, who is doing this? And sure, we need to correct ourselves, you know, the hate, the, the fighting, the, the lack of respect has gone out the window. We need to get all that back. We need to look at you and me and talk to each other like we're doing, you know. Put, put the phones away for a while. Talk to your children. Play with them. There was a, just going off slightly, there was an incident yesterday that really upset me. And I have nothing to do with this whatsoever. It's just an observation. Even my husband got upset too. There was a, a lady and her son. He's probably about four, three or four. She was in her 30s, I guess. And she dragging the child out the front of this house, telling him off because they were having a Christmas party in the house apparently and there was other children there. And she was telling him off, yelling at him, saying, you do this every time we come to a party or someone's place, you deliberately cause trouble. You visit just at him the whole time. The poor little kid was screaming in utter pain from his heart. You could see him going, Mummy, will you? what have I done wrong? I'm not... How does a three or four-year-old child say, Mummy, it's not intentional? She was screaming at him and said all those things. And then, because he was crying, he was going, Mummy, Mummy, I didn't mean to. I don't know what you mean. What did she say? Do you not understand what I'm saying to you? Do you not comprehend that you do this every time and you're wrecking everybody's day? You're wrecking everybody's day. No one's enjoying themselves because of you. Do you not comprehend? And I was that close to intervening and say, could you have comprehended that at three years old when a person was screaming at you, let alone your mother who supposedly loves you? 
could she not take this little guy away, give him a hug and say, honey, what's wrong? Are you, what are you upset about? And say, okay, let's fix it. Then we'll go back in and have a good time, eh? Mm-hmm. No. She yelled at him from above. The poor, oh, I'm sorry, I just had to put that in because it's so upset me. That's what I'm talking about. Do people not know how to make a little child feel good about themselves or bring them in on what they've done wrong, if they've done something wrong, discuss it, tell them, fix it, not scream at them and blame them for everybody else having a bad time. I've seen this so often of late. It's like parents have lost, not all of course, but there seems to be this overriding, whether it's the digital age, the phones, the whatever, they're constantly, no one's taking care of the kids, you know. No one's saying, come here, I'll give you a hug for no reason, just because I love you, because you've got a funny, you've got a funny face and I yeah. love you. Oh, your care for children, whether they're living, whether they're on the other side of the veil, is something so beautiful. Oh, I don't know what it is, it just hurts. Yeah. It hurts, yes. You're a sensitive mm. soul and, and I can relate to some of mm. what you're saying as well. And I think what you're describing is, is I guess, cycles of trauma. You know, we can speculate that that mother was treated that way and, and knows no better. But it's about that awareness, like being aware of what you're doing yes. so that then it can be corrected. And there is a, a lack of awareness. There's an unconsciousness in our society you know yeah. and people yeah. what people don't realize i think is the the effects on a child of yes. words of hate when they're that little and how it and he'll remember that every time he goes somewhere now he'll he'll know that he's the reason no one's having a good time that is it and that child the effects of that moment will be playing out out in his adult life forever unless he yep. You know, unless he does a lot of inner work on himself as an adult and, and sees it and corrects that and breaks the cycle and breaks yeah. the cycle, you know. So, See something may happen in the future for him that will trigger something else and then will trigger his life to go off the rails. Exactly. When it shouldn't, but something will trigger and then he'll remember this little moment. Mm. Let's hope it doesn't. But And I'm sure he won't treat his own kids that way, but... Hopefully not. Like you said, there doesn't seem to be the awareness anymore. And those moments stay with you. I'm sure that everyone who's listening will think back to a moment when they were little or in primary school when somebody wounded them with words, let alone with other stuff, but even just words. I mean, I can think of uh, my primary school teacher in year three who told me off for something and I've never forgotten it. It's like a scar in the heart because you're so little. And, yep. you, you know, and this person's smiling and lovely and you look up to them and then they change and you think, what, what's going on there? And it stays with you like, you know, yep. a wound that's always open. Mm. Yeah. Until so, someone comes in and maybe mends it somehow. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we're just about at the end now, Danny, and what a conversation. I've just loved this so much. I'd like to know if you have any daily routine of meditation or prayer or both to help keep you grounded and tuned into divine guidance? Um, I think it's with me all the time. And I, during the day, I talk to the divine constantly during the course of the day, just in my own mind, you know. But bedtime, when you're lying there and it's quiet, dark, it's just feels closer. They feel closer. So always prayer. Of the night time when I wake up and just give thanks, gratitude, 
thanks for the wonderful man I have in my life and the garden and I'm here and I'm glad you're all close and don't ever leave me. I say that a lot. Don't, uh, you know, I know you'll all be waiting for me over the rainbow. That's, that's how I put it. Everyone's just over the rainbow till I get there. That's so, and funny enough, it's my, my mum's anniversary this Sunday. So my, um, yeah, so hello to mum. I'll be coming to visit, <laughs> even though she's around. And isn't that funny, all these things that we've talked about and all the visions of other people and through my life, I mean, I've only ever seen maybe mum once. She's only ever come to me once. Oh, isn't wow. that funny? It is. Yet I know she's there. I know she's there. But of all these other things, it, I don't know. That's, I find that odd somehow. Danny, I'm just going to change the subject very quickly before we sign oh. off. Uh, I don't know if there's, this has happened in so many of my interviews, but I don't know if there's a television on in another room in your home, is there? No, no, like, nothing. Because just in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes, I've begun to hear in my headphones just yes. a background chatter. And I don't know if my listeners will be able to pick it up. They might. Maybe that's my grandparents. Yeah. Normally, my dad. He never, he never shut up for anybody. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like an excited chatter that I can hear, but very faint. Very, very faint. Really? Yeah, no, nothing on in the house whatsoever. Okay. Just you, my beautiful girl. Oh, well, likewise, me and your beautiful <laughs> face and nobody else in this house. So, yeah. Yeah. oh, well, Danny, closing words. What do you have for us? What would you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Oh, gee, I don't know. I want everyone in their own own individual little worlds, lives, just find more love if we can, you know, for each other, for anybody, for the stranger, for the little old lady sitting on a on a bus bench who looks lonely, go and say hi. I don't know, just just be nice to each other, as Ellen would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just wish everyone was so much more in tune and to being respectful and loving and not so quick to jump and go to the dark side of whatever it is. Try and see both sides. Try and just be happy in the life you have, however grand or however small or what, however much you have or don't have. It's a beautiful life no matter which way you look at it. I mean, look out the back door, look up in the sky, the clouds. They're forever moving, they're forever. Who does that? God does that. It's, it's a constant movie moving in front of your face. Mm. And the visions that come out of those are just magical. You know, Reggie, my blue tongue, I go out and give him a kiss every morning. He goes, where's my breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the little things, the big things, it doesn't matter. Just, just be thankful for the beautiful world we have. It is so magical and mystical. It's just beautiful. And there's so much more we don't know. But, you know, so we could find out that... You know, we may not be able to do that till we're over the rainbow. So while we're here, let's just love. Simple. Well, I can't think of a better note to end our conversation on. I'm so grateful for your time today. You've got so much beautiful time to share. And I know that this conversation is going to bless so many of our listeners and they're going to take something beautiful away from it in their own way. So thank you so much, Thanks. Danny, for joining thank us. Thank you, on It's a joy to be with you always. Love you lots. Love you lot. Love everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Love everybody. Thanks, That's gorgeous. Bye, Danny. Bye, Karina. Thank you so much.
Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.